Guess what, friends and neighbors? This month, I turned 50, and I thought it'd be fun to watch a movie from the same year I was born. Unfortunately, many of the movies from 1973 are already classics and don't really require revisiting. Mean Streets, Enter the Dragon, High Plains Drifter, The Long Goodbye, American Graffiti, Badlands, Don't Look Now, The Wicker Man, The Sting, The Exorcist. All too amazing to need analysis from the likes of us, but there is a dark horse. A satiristic dystopian sci-fi, a bleak tale that depicts the grim future of 2022, where food has become scarce and people have turned to other forms of sustenance. That's right, folks. We're revisiting one of Chucky Heston's most famous sci-fi turns, Soylent Green. Welcome to The Holdup. Each month we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years, we watch it and we decide, does it hold up? I'm John Longino. And I'm John Nelson. And Nelson Happy... 50th birthday to you. Thank you. I, I feel young at heart. Half a century. <laughs> Half a century. Yeah. Five decades. Good Christ. I, you know, I think, well, first of all, happy birthday. And oh. I, hope, I hope you're having a good one. Thanks. Um, My least favorite thing about this is calling you really old is going to stop being funny <laughs> well when you're actually <laughs> really when i'm really actually old, getting up there oh so, yeah well i started to suspect y'all were like kind of cooling it with the old jokes when y'all started being like <laughs> <laughs> oh man nelson was 40 before we- oh wait now now we're past 40 oh shit oh yes. god <laughs> once our our mutual friends and myself started hitting 40 we were like yeah yeah oh, old, old man nelson <laughs> he might outlive me Fuck that, it's still funny, you old piece of shit. You're going to die so much earlier than me. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Oh, I have fewer tomorrows than yesterdays. <laughs> well, uh, if anyone has any words to cheer us up with, uh, to remind us what all there is to live for still, uh, feel free to write us at holduppodcast at gmail.com, where we will happily read your email on the show. Uh, but Nelson, for your 50th, we are watching, as you put it, not maybe the best film of 1973. <laughs> no. There were many, many to choose from. By the way, that's, that's a very impressive list of films. That you There's mentioned. more. I mean, I, 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 I pitched Longino this idea. I said, hey, wouldn't it be fun to do a movie from 1973 because I'm turning 50? And then I sort of went down the list of like movies from 1973 and I found this problem. Uh, there were two problems. One, too many damn good movies. And the good movies, like, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of shitty ones, but they just didn't last. Like, they're just lost <laughs> to history right. forever. There's no copies in existence. But just the whole, I mean... Most of these movies, not only, you know, are they at least, you know, pretty good in memory. It's like I've seen them all many times. It's like, you know, these are the, the ones that I've listed are among my favorites. There's ones that I didn't list, like Paper Moon, for example, came out. Great movie. Love that movie. It's in the canon. You know what I mean? There's too many people that still remember Paper Moon, you know, as being awesome. So it's like, well, what do I do? So I stumbled upon Soylent Green. And I'm like, well, this might actually be a great one this might be the best one to do because number one it's sort of questionable whether it, it might hold up because you know sure <laughs> it's from a certain uh, point in time but second it's i have actually read a couple of articles and a few like opinions on you know the internets where they're like you know we made fun of soylent green for a lot of years it's not as far off as people thought it was going to be. <laughs> right. A little prescient, perhaps. Well, so yeah. We find out. Well, here. So here's the thing. Before we decide, before we dive too deep into Soylent Green, I do just want to briefly bring up something we should probably mention. Okay. Nelson, do you know who directed Soylent Green? I do, and this is a hilarious. Uh, uh, I don't know. Side effect of just randomly picking a movie. It's Richard Fleischer, right? Yes. The same guy who directed last month's movie, The Vikings. Yes. <laughs> and I I had already onboarded Longino with this idea. I was like, oh, let's do Soylent Green. Okay, great. And again, folks, we don't look up things before we decide <laughs> on them. That's hard. That's part of the point is we don't remember things about them and we don't look things up. And I was editing last month's show after we decided to do this. 
And then I heard his father say, oh, and he also directed Soylent Green. And I'm like, yes, well, shit. <laughs> I had the same experience. And so, so to be crystal clear, Richard Fleischer, the director of Soylent Green, directed last month's film, The Vikings. So welcome to the Fleischer cast, everybody. We're going we're going through the filmography, movie by movie. We uh, we had a double without even knowing it. We haven't done one of those wow. in a while. I don't have we. I don't. I mean, besides obviously, you know, films where we've watched more than one of the same series. You know, especially in our uh, catch up right. show, we've we've watched films by the same director. I don't think we've ever done the same director back to back on just random episodes of the whole. Yeah, month. not random episodes. We did like Mad Max, which sure. is all George yes. Miller, but like this is the first time we've accidentally stumbled. Yeah. <laughs> The same director. Especially the first time as a mistake, <laughs> which is amazing. I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, you know, just so of all the movies and of all the directors. Yes. And it, this guy's not even like, you know, he was kind of a journeyman and he had a couple of, you know, big, yeah, like this one. This is one of his biggest name movies. And it's like <laughs> the fact that we stumble on this guy randomly twice just it's one of those things where like oh you scored like three blackjacks in a row it's like <laughs> it can happen yes <laughs> yes we are in that universe but regardless now that we've gotten our, our jollies out of the way with that <laughs> bizarre coincidence uh, yeah, Nelson, what is Soylent Green about, for those who maybe don't remember or don't know? Well, Soylent Green is a movie, like I said, it takes place in the future of 2022. I accidentally saw that on the back of the DVD I got. Or oh, whatever. no shit. It's 2022? It's 2022. Last year? Oh, mm-hmm. man. Okay. Yeah, but it, at that point, they, you know, they made this in the 60s, so this is the future for them, 40 years in the future, and uh, food is scarce. It's one of the biggest uh, problems affecting society, and people. And there's other results of this. People are living like right on top of each other and Charlton Heston is in the movie and he has a roommate that he's been stuck with because that's what happens in the future there's just not enough space to live so they randomly ram people in a room together now Uh, and I don't remember what kicks off the whole mystery because there's a whole I mean there's a lot going on in this movie and it's very hippified and you know I'm going to save the ending, although everybody knows it at this point or, or probably has heard it and whether they know it or not. Uh, so I'm not going to give away the plot twist, but it's sort of like a mystery. It's sort of like, I don't know if it's a murder mystery or something like that, but there's a mystery involved. They're trying to figure out, well, what did Soylent Green is made by this company and something's going on with the company and we're not exactly sure what. And Charlton Heston gets it in his head like, we got to figure this out. So he goes on this fact-finding mission to figure out, well, what's the what's the hidden truth about soil and green? And of course, the way we're talking about it, you can probably guess. How? <laughs> well, well you're, you are right. It is one of those sort of zeitgeist things where, if even if you haven't seen the movie, and I will I will honor your <laughs> your request to sort of not give it away. But yes, there is a sort of like very surprising thing about Soylent Green. I certainly knew it when I first saw the movie. Yes. I This was on my, like, sort of bucket list of movies to rent. And so <laughs> back when I was in high school, I rented it. And then knowing full well, you know, the sort of end of the movie. Right. Um, and it sounds like you, perhaps you did, too. I you did. Saw yeah. I, I had heard of it before I ever saw it. And, of course, the way I heard of it was somebody just saying the there's a famous tagline and you know it's the last line of the movie so I'm not going to give it away it's kind of a Twilight zone type ending it's like you've been leading up to all this stuff and then suddenly oh my god uh, but I remember being told that line that mystery line about Soylent Green and so I, I was like oh okay so what's the rest of the movie about and then I don't remember if it was college it must have been college because I think I I, I figured it out then but yeah, I think in college, a friend of mine just said, you haven't seen Silent Green? Oh, <laughs> come on now. It's got Charlton Heston in it. Let's go. And so we sat down and watched it. And, and at the time, it was, you know, again, it was dated. And it was like, oh, <laughs> 60s filmmaking. Uh, Charlton Heston acting like an old classic actor, like he's in a fucking theater, you know, in a black box theater. And <laughs> there's 100 people there, and he's yelling and screaming. Is he playing a Mexican? That's really <laughs> that's the chief question. <laughs> We're talking about touch of evil where mm-hmm. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican not badly by the way but you know it's there yeah. no this is 100% <laughs> real that definitely happened believe it or not yeah. so yeah uh, he wasn't the only one at that time but to me the movie was like sort of an unintentional comedy at the time I saw it I was like we're right. so much more advanced now and haha this would never happen to us and now even just the stuff that I remember from it 
it's come true. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's this like, you know, food is becoming scarcer yeah. in the world. Oh, yes. Like resource scarcity is a very real thing that people definitely talk about now. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, you know, I mean, you would know born in the 70s in 1973, sure. you were living high on the hog. Well, not in the 70s. No, 70s, there was food shortages. There oh, was, there you uh, go. That's true. That was the era of, um, oh, what did they call them? Like you had to, where you could only get like gas at a certain day on a certain day. Like every other day you could oh, get wow. your gas and you had to wait in line. Sometimes they didn't have enough and people would fight over it. There were oil shortages. There were food shortages. 70s was when, I mean, I don't know if you know this, John, but there's whole documentaries about this. The 70s is where the government decided no one in America should ever go hungry. We have to figure out how to how to make sure that food is not too pricey for Americans. Hmm. Food has to be the least of our worries. We have to be buying cars right. and all kinds of shit. What became of that was they figured out how to grow corn massive amounts of corn yes hence where corn syrup and they started figuring out how to make things out of corn and since corn was so cheap it's like corn everything high fructose corn syrup high fructose corn syrup and at the time that wasn't as big a problem because people were eating less food and then now they could afford more food so they ate more and here we are (laughs) but uh yeah i mean but the 70s were like you know i don't remember much because i was young but i do remember like you know there were times that like you had to wait in line for shit or you had to have like fucking tickets for things sometimes or you couldn't get oil you know you couldn't get to the gas station on a certain day and it was just it was odd because again i was little and i didn't know any differently but then when we moved into the 80s and inflation and a time of plenty that was the time of like oh everything's free and money is everywhere and cocaine and that was where i remember saying oh so that was different than what we're supposed to be you know than what we just lived through long story short well, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think it's contextually significant. I mean, especially with these kind of movies, yes. these sort of allegory, you know, high sci-fi concept films, uh, you know, it, it's in a similar vein to something like Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. or Omega Man, literally <laughs> all starring the same man. Right. <laughs> you know, let's just point that out. This was, this was Charlton Heston's thing. Yeah, this, this was time. his like big sci-fi trilogy. Yeah. Much like um, uh, much like Robin Williams, you know, decided I'll play a serial killer for three movies or whatever. <laughs> you know, Heston had to hat trick his way <laughs> through the 70s. And, and that's it's interesting you talk about how this movie is always sort of, you know, frowned upon or kind of maybe slightly made fun of, because that's always been my relationship with it, is this is a genre that Heston has done mm-hmm. before, and sure. I plan it's one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> and then, you know, Mega Man is good, clean fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I, to me, it was always like the, you know, the ugly stepchild right. of, of his kind of repertoire. Yes, I agree. I, 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 I Of those three, I would have always said, well, Soylent Green is fun. But it's there's like those two others that are like either high awesome or high camp. And then there's this one, which is like neither. Right. Now I wonder. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because it, you know, it passed the point of like because it's like the thing we've talked about a lot recently. It's like because with older movies, it's like, well, you know, when you're watching something in the 90s and it's from the 60s trying to envision the 2020s or whatever, <laughs> right? then it has kind of a foolishness to it at that point. You can already see which way the wind is blowing. You're like, well, we're not going to go that way. But now it's so far back in the rear view, you can look at it like, oh, well, you know, it's it, it's the way we envision sci-fi, you know, but, you know, with Buck Rogers type shit. It's like it all. Yes, it's wrong, but it's wrong in the same way. Everything turned out to be wrong. Right. Now let's look for the shit that's right. And the shit that was right actually might have been, as we're talking about, more prescient than we realize. Because right. ultimately, those kind of movies aren't necessarily about is it literally true to the future it's they they almost always are dealing with an innate truth that already exists that they're sort of commentarying and hiding and masquerading (laughs) it in like a sci-fi story yeah yeah like planet of the apes is an anti-war movie you know so i'm honestly i think it's fascinating you're telling me there was constraints on supplies in the 70s i've never i didn't live that time so i didn't experience that uh that might have been something i would have known if i'd have researched it but i didn't really (laughs) know that so hearing that and that this movie is also dealing with that kind of thing it's not surprising to hear 
That's actually really fascinating. Well, and interestingly enough, I would have thought, you know, that you would see that stuff in the 60s. You would see, like you're seeing the beginnings of that. And I don't think that's what happened. I think they, you know, whoever wrote it obviously had a vision of the future. And they're like, things are probably a book, right? It probably started as a book because all movies like that started as a book. Probably started as a book where some like real smart guy or an economist or someone was like, uh, you know, we're going to run out of food one day, right? There's, and people are like, ah, you're full of fucking beans, you asshole. We're never, never will America run out of food. <laughs> He's like, ah, we're going to run out of food and here's how. And, you know, writes his allegory and then people are ah, you know, silliness. Look at this filthy degenerate writing his bullshit. We, there's food aplenty. And then 10 years later, people are like, uh, well, he was on to something. But they were still wrong. That didn't, it didn't end the same. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Soylent Green is, you know, it ends hilariously. And maybe if, if it's holding up the way I think it might, it might be uh, kind of scary again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's interesting we're talking about the ending because I should confess that my n- entire knowledge of the film before I ever saw it for the first time in high school was from a Saturday Night Live sketch. Right. There's a Phil Hartman <laughs> SNL sketch where they're doing it's it's like talking about movies and they bring on someone. I think it's uh, John Goodman is okay. hosting uh-huh. and he is be, he's coming on as like the producer, writer, director of the Soylent series or something. <laughs> and so they're making like sequels to Soylent Green. And the joke is every time there's a sequel. Charlton Heston runs out and then gives the big famous line that okay. ends the movie, but a slight variation on right. it. But I, it's ingrained in my mind because Phil Hartman played the Charlton Heston character. <laughs> and every scene is just him coming out over and over again, going like, Silent Green, and you know, yelling right. about it. And so I had no, I never heard of the movie, didn't know anything about it, but was watching this SNL sketch and just laughed. And of course, the SNL sketch like sort of gave away the movie. Sure. Um, so I, much like you, the first time I came to the movie was very much as like an almost mystery science theater, like, let's have a laugh. Right. This will be hilarious. And, <laughs> and from what I do remember... I did like the movie more than I thought I would. Yes. I remember watching it being like, this is actually kind of interesting. I remember that um, his friend in the film, I believe, if my memory is correct, is Ernest Borgnine. Is it? Okay. I I think so. Who is in the Vikings. So this would kind of (laughs) make sense that that director would use that actor. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's Ernest Borgnine. Because that's funny because I would have thought if you'd have asked me who's his roommate because it's a famous actor mm-hmm. right I would have said if you asked me that it's Edward G Robinson because he was the original uh, Dr. Zayas I believe but then he he got allergic to the makeup or something that's like correct that. yes he's and, in that he's in the test stuff right and he I think he died soon after this so I I, I think this might be one of his last movies however you might be I'm, right it might be him I mean him and his board now like are kind of similar <laughs> so I, I could see it what's gonna be funny is if it's neither <laughs> just some old dude they found on the street corner <laughs> it's Sir Alec Guinness <laughs> it's like my god Mr. Guinness uh, but if I remember this character whom we think is Ernest Borgnine or perhaps Edward G. Robinson <laughs> or perhaps someone, a third party. Uh, what I really remember about this character is he's struggling with, um, they have almost like a euthanasia thing. Right, yes. Where, it, where it's like they've offered almost like a religious experience, Logan's Run style, where like people can sort of opt out of yeah. life and like well, you sort of have a schedule or something that you're supposed to die by like if you live yeah. too long it becomes problematic so. yeah so I, I believe his friend is is aging I mean this is very appropriate for you turning 50 <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and there's a whole plot about I, I don't think Heston is like comfortable with or likes the fact that his friend is gonna go essentially do like an assisted suicide right and I and I vividly remember my probably my strongest memory of the movie besides the big end of the movie is this weird sequence where his friend goes and like 
why it was haunting honestly he's like watching a video uh trying to put him at peace yeah it was like here's fields of daisies yeah while they like jack working his ass like i remember being like this is disturbing and it goes on a while yeah it's not like oh yeah he goes in you know he sees the flowers cut to black it's like they want you to like go out with him in this and feel that kind of same fear so i put it in for the lulls and then like by the time i hit that part of the movie i was like legitimately uncomfortable which I, which I thought was interesting <laughs> well I do it like you say there was stuff about the movie the first because that's the the guy who I believe uh, showed me the movie the first time his name is Micah he you know became my roommate later in life um, I, I I believe that he was you know because we were making fun it's like oh yeah soil and green and he's like well have you ever seen it and I'm like no I haven't actually seen it I just know the joke and he's like oh well you need to see it it's it's great it's great both ways and I'm like really and he's like uh-huh and so he showed it to me and I remember again, like you say, being there for the lulls, but there was also stuff in it that I was like, hmm, that's actually better than I thought it would be. It, right. it actually fit into that trilogy, you know, the Chucky e. Heston trilogy of, of sci-fi uh, Twilight Zoney stuff, because <laughs> that's all that <laughs> all of them. All of them end with either Charlton Heston <laughs> yelling the reveal or being killed like Jesus. By the way, can you explain to me as someone who lived through some of these times, why Charlton Heston Mr. NRA, like in my time, by the end, he's like pretty conservative. Right. What was he doing in these like hippie ass, like super progressive movies with where the big reveals were always like really progressive? I don't know. I don't know if he believed in this stuff and he was, you know, and, and then later on, much like Ronnie Reagan, you know, became, you know, super conservative. Because that seemed to be the way the acting, career, you know, careers were going at that point. But I mean, yeah, I guess I don't he know. was Moses. So, you yeah. know, I mean, I get the feeling he was just conservative in a time where conservative wasn't as far right, yeah. and and the far left was becoming cool, and so he just wanted in on the money of that. I mean, you could there's maybe. that world. Maybe. I guess I guess ultimately the message of Planet of the Apes, which we're sort of half spoiling, but if you haven't, by the way, if you haven't seen Planet of the Apes, you should see that movie. It's yeah, great. you should see Planet of the Apes. Um, that, that's a pretty accept, I would hope, an acceptable message maybe for all parties. This idea of like, this is a bad ending. We don't want this, right? You know, yeah. so, so that I can kind of see. And then maybe because of the zeitgeist of Planet of the Apes, this is his <laughs> thing now. Right. And then, I don't know, I guess Omega Man, they're like, well, what if he was there when the bombs went right. off? And like, what's life after that like? And then, you know, this, I don't know, like, maybe that's how that, how that happened. I mean, it might just be that he was such a big star before doing all the biblical epics. And then as his star, as everyone's does, starts to wane, he mm-hmm. was just like, well, I'm not going to go gently. I'm, right. If they offer me a leading role, I will just, I'll, yeah. And That makes sense. And again, he's not doing like shit movies either. It's like, these are like, like you say, zeitgeisty. It's like Planet of the Apes, one of the biggest movies, you know, on the silver screen. It made a shit ton of money and everybody knows about it, you know. Omega Man and, and Soylent Green less so, but it's like he still was making money for studios. Right. So right. that it could just be that. Every one of those movies... So stuck some flag in a like political topic and went mm-hmm. all in on it. And so that honestly, that's what I'm very fascinated to see about Soylent Green. I remember some of that stuff like you're talking about. Yeah. Didn't realize it was 2022 in the movie. That's wild. <laughs> uh, seems like about time. And yeah, I don't know. Like do, Nelson, I guess this is the key question. Do you think Soylent Green is going to hold up? I'm going to, you know, Look to the future like they were doing in 1960, whatever. I'm actually going to say that this movie holds up more than I thought it did the first time I watched it, where I was just like, this movie is probably stupid. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to see a different movie than I saw in, you know, 1990, whatever. That's my guess. So I'm, I'm going strong with holds up on this one. I do agree. I mean, if anything, for your, you know, your 50th anniversary of life. <laughs> Uh, from 1973 to 2023, hopefully we can ring it in with the watching of a great movie. I would hate to besmirch the whole process <laughs> with a negative attitude, but I do agree with you. I think that Soylent Green will hold up. I actually remember liking it, not like incredibly liking it. Right. I guess that's the gray area. Yeah. Like, is it going to be like... Is it the, oh, this is better than the garbage I thought it was? (laughs) Or is it like, oh, this is some classic that, you know, has been overlooked? I wonder. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
before we get too hot on this movie, I do remember thinking and like, well, this is sort of like a TV movie with a slightly bigger budget. Right. There, there do seem to be some low budget failings that I remember, but I don't remember the movie very well. So maybe yeah. they'll be erased by. I only saw it the one time. How many yeah. times? I, uh, maybe twice. Okay. I remember seeing it once for sure, but I may have seen it twice. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. Besides what we talked about. Really couldn't tell you much about what happens in it, so I'm excited to see it anew. Yeah, it'll be practically new to me. So come join us uh, at this stage. Uh, you're welcome to go. Come on. This, By the way, I, I don't think we say this enough, but I truly, my our vision of the listener of this podcast would be that you join us in the watching of the film. Yes. Not literally because we don't record while we watch, but emotionally. <laughs> take the pause. Take the moment. Go uh, find Soylent Green, give it a watch, and then come back and join us after the movie. So we're going to go and we're going to watch Soylent Green, and we'll be right back. What is the secret of Soylent Green? New York City in the year 2022. Nothing runs anymore. Nothing works. But the people are the same. And the people will do anything to get what they need. This is the police. What they need most is Soylent Green. The supply of Soylent Green has been exhausted. Return to your home. What is the secret of Soylent Green? Detective Sergeant Thorne. He has a two-year backlog of unsolved murders. Now he's on a case that must be solved. Saul Roth, Thorne's private library. Hey, Saul. A living book in a world without books. Have some pencils. Courtesy of your next assignment. William R. Simonson. Simonson. He was the first to learn the secret of Soil and Green. They told me to, uh, to say that they were sorry, but that you had become unreliable. <laughs> Saul Roth was the next to know. How do we come to this? And he chose to die rather than reveal the secret of Soylent Green. What is the secret of Soylent Green? <clears throat> Why did you shut up, Simonson? I didn't. Cheryl. See your hands. Officially, she's furniture. She comes with the apartment. She belongs to the tenant. How many times you been in trouble with the police, Cheryl? Never. Can't hear you. Never. Captain Hatcher. First, he wanted this case solved. Simonson. What do you say? It was an assassination. Now, he just wants it closed. Who bought you? High and hot, and they want this case closed permanently. Their way, now you sign this. You sign it! Dorn refuses to close the Simonson case. Just do what you have to do. Where did you go with Simons? He took me to church. Church? Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been six months since my last confession. Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Chuck Connors, Lee Taylor Young, Brock Peters, Paula Kelly, and Joseph Cotton fight for survival and try to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. The search for the secret of Soylent Green. You will find out why Soylent Green means life. You will find out why Soylent Green means death. We've got to stop him! What is the secret of Soylent Green? Please! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. You and gotta tell them. <laughs> tell them what, John? <laughs> you gotta tell them that. Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the movie, go watch it. Silent Green is people. Yes, that's it's the. It's made out of people. That was the harsh truth that we couldn't give away in the beginning, but yes. Uh, so it's people. <laughs> much like the best of the Twilight Zones. This was uh, about cannibals, <laughs> about how America, in its food loss, has turned to cannibalism and not told the public. Oh, yes. 
What's so odd is that's the first thing I ever knew about the movie. Like, in, <laughs> like they, in that SNL sketch I mentioned, that yeah. that is, I mean, it's literally just Phil Hartman over and over and over again going, some of the greatest people. Yes, because clearly they thought that was funny. Because, yeah. I mean, to their credit, it is pretty funny. Like oh, the, I mean, he's doing an amazing Heston. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the film itself, uh, I, I should mention. I, kn- I mean, I know this is jumping straight to the end, but since we're <laughs> since we've now given away the, the secret, <laughs> like there is a strange. I actually think a lot of the movie seems is working fine, but the, it, it, I see why it's something that people either ridiculed or sort of joke about in terms of their kind of big payoff. Right. Because the movie does end really oddly. Yes. Where he's like, get yeah, of the people! And it like f- freeze frames. And it's like... On his bloody hand. Yeah. But the thing is, they've, they've well, like 10, 15 minutes before that, they've well given it away. We're like, <laughs> he literally... Oh, but and by the way, Nelson, to your credit, it is Edward G. Robinson. Oh I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I was wrong. Ernest Borgnine. This was not. I was shocked to be right that about was that. Wild, but yeah, he. So he. We were. Our memory was correct. Uh, Edward G. Robinson goes and sort of self suicides, and then. Well, we didn't really remember it's because he already knew the the yeah. horrible secret. He knows the secret. It's I. I was thought. I, I thought it was like, oh, he was kind of forced into doing it, or he was feeling, you know, his age or something like that. Some Logan's run type thing. No, he's like he discovers the secret, and this is his way of like you got to prove. Like, well, well, number one, he wants Heston to prove it. Number two, he, he can't live with it. Yeah. He's <laughs> just like, well, that's horrible. I'm out of here. <laughs> but so Heston follows his body basically, like all the way from the suicide plant to the back uh, area of the loading dock. <laughs> Trucks are just loading up heaps of bodies all the way to the Soylent Green processing plant. He yeah. witnesses bodies on conveyor belts being dumped into a big vat and then Soylent Green coming out the other side. So it's like, unless you're the most blind, completely not paying attention viewer, like the jig is up. Like you, it's very clearly already Soylent Green is people. Yeah. So to have this ending where they're like still treating it like it's some big shocker is just really <laughs> strange. Like, what did you make of that? Well, I made of that like they realize, well, we have to have an action-packed ending. But yeah, it is funny because I had forgotten all that stuff. Like him crying it out at the end to me was like, right, that's the reveal. That's him. To- but mind you, I also remembered it as like a tragedy in that because the movie ends he's been you know he's been chased by the rifleman chucky connors uh you know and who's been shooting at him he and chuck connors fight to the death he kills chuck connors but he's been really wounded and you know his his cop boss comes in and says oh you stupid idiot you're a hell of a cop though and and heston's like you gotta tell them tell them it's people and i had remembered it as he's being taken away like against his will like i had remembered it as like uh, he, you know he's he's now caught in the machine and and he's screaming for people to listen and nobody gives a shit cuz the world is so terrible anyway but it's not that it's him just you know he tells the lieutenant it's people you got to prove he's like yeah yeah we'll get to that and then he yells it out in a church full of poor people so i mean like you say it's up now everybody's going to know it's much it's a much more like positive ending than I remembered it as. Because again, I remembered it as like, oh, it's a negative ending because sure. he's got this thing and nobody can prove it and no one will listen. Well, it is. It's interesting. It sort of isn't. I can see it both ways, right? Like it, part of it is a negative ending because, well, one, what's the other solution here? I mean, they, <laughs> right. they basically say, I guess we learn that the earth is so uh, well. And here's, and we should probably talk about this. You, you were sort of mentioning, oh, will this film have sort of parallels to our current lives or things that are a little more relatable? Um, definitely gets a lot of that. Uh, yes. Right. I mean, the, the main, you know, problem of the movie is vast overpopulation and vast, like, uh, you know, malnourishment, basically. Like, yeah. and the, the, uh, the really, the, the one that was the most stressful was sort of like, um, greenhouse gases causing the earth's atmosphere to rise in temperature and the big thing in the movie is they're talking about how it's steaming hot all the time yeah and like there's no more winter and they're all <laughs> and, and because of that you know no plant life or animal life can really last like it used to right so they're having to 
get plankton from the ocean. That's where yes. they're getting most of their nutrients. And yes. that red is like, well, I mean, climate <laughs> change is definitely happening and we're yeah. experiencing that. And this was it didn't seem that crazy to look at a future where it would be very hot all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, the fact that they've, you know, called that in, you know, 1973 was like, I mean, that's for that time. Yeah. I mean, they're still denying climate change now. So the fact that they're like, oh, the earth's going to be too hot for us to survive is just that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, this Accurate. is before Al Gore was making the rounds, you know, yeah. sounding the alarm like this. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's that part is like basically totally spot on. So I so I sort of agree with you. I, I can see the reading that it is not. Uh, I, I mean, that he's being dragged away and there's really no hope because from my point of view, it's like, well, OK, if the plankton <laughs> in the ocean are dying. Right. And New York itself is 40 million people. Yeah. And the world is, I'm assuming, billions and billions of people like like they really don't have any other choice. <laughs> well, sure, you expose it. And then and like, then what? Like, what are what's everyone <laughs> right. going to eat anyway? It's it. Well, that's his whole thing. It's like next they're going to breed us for cattle. And it's like. <laughs> Well, next they're going to have to, because right. again, if there's no, like you say, no alternative, then what's the point? Yeah. Although I, one would think if you're in this hot, horrible future uh, and you and your entire family are sleeping in the stairwell. That as was so did crazy. Of people. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, we should take a second to like the beginning is so crazy because it's like, you know, there's people, he, he lives in this building, you know, like an apartment building with uh, Edward G. Robinson, not forced to, I thought they were forced to, but it turns mm. out they're both, basically they work together and it's like, and right. it seems almost like a, a, you know, I don't know if there's supposed to be like subtext, like they're, you know, hot for each other, whatever, because they don't have any of that. Sure. I could see that. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a sexual relationship, but certainly there's an intimacy there that, yes. that is love. Yes. Well, they say it all the time. They say, yeah. I love you. I yeah. love you too. And they, you know, kind of his only friend in the world really yes. so you know and he keeps refusing to like like everybody's like you should let that guy go he's too old and he's not good at his job and, and he's like nope not happening he's staying so but they work together he's a cop i had totally forgotten the cop part i was like oh, it's yeah. it's almost like it's a murder mystery <laughs> it's a murder mystery <laughs> it's a straight up murder mystery but he lives with edward g robinson in an apartment building and to get out he goes out the front door and to get down the stairs there are dozens of people on the sleeping in the stairwell and they have this like it's really interesting i was trying to figure out if this was from something like a painting or something like that but you know the women were wearing like scarves on their head like it was like old-timey russia or something like that or you know maybe uh you know like the fiddler on the roof or something i don't know but it, it they had like this look to them that i was like oh that's very like american immigrant you know people you know in new york and the you know i don't know the 20s or 40s or whatever you want to call it um but yeah, it's it, there's just people sleeping everywhere, and there's like churches full of people, just oh, yeah. homeless people sleeping, and like half the people are unemployed. Like, you know, Charlton Heston's working two shifts as a cop. Like, he works as a homicide detective by day and like a riot officer by night, mm -hmm. and yeah, and, and, and which also, by the way, very prescient. Everybody's having to side hustle to just survive. And well, not just side hustle, basically robbed everyone blind. Like, <laughs> well, that's the, that I was getting. That's he's, the he's best. Both a, yeah, he's a cop and a thief, basically. He, he, he there's a rich person that gets killed in the beginning who is, you know, works. He's got on. He's on the board of Soylent Green and, or uh, the or Soylent. Soylent. Soylent yeah. yeah, the the company that produces Soylent Green. Um, <laughs> and Charlton Heston just marches in. Takes the food, takes the alcohol, takes his bar of soap, takes everything that's not nailed down, throws it in a golden pillowcase. Yeah, he's like a reverse Santa Claus, like <laughs> just like a bag of goodies that he's leaving with. And I mean, I know cop grift is, even in the 70s, that's hardly news, but it is just like... It's so amazing to me that the movie just openly just like celebrates him being such a scumbag and, you know, sure. which I really, you know, you know me and my love of scumbags because the movie knows it's like, dude, he's an asshole. <laughs> but <laughs> I, well, yes and no. Right. Like it is scummy. But also, I mean, the way the movie's portrayed, I mean, he's living in a tenement housing with squalor and hundreds yes. of people around just sleeping in the stairwell. He, they have meager means about the only food they get to eat is like chalk and dead people. <laughs> so like, 
there was something to me about you roll into this high roller's house and he's got steaks and brandy and it's like fuck yeah you steal that shit <laughs> well I, like, I didn't say I didn't feel for him I completely sympathize for him I just think it's funny that again cop grift is not a new thing and they predicted right. you know just exactly how it continues right. through the years so, but then there, uh, I mean, we sh- since we're in the rich person's apartment, we should also note the only, uh, well, one of the two women we see in the movie, uh, is, uh, is she's called furniture because yeah. she comes with the apartment, which is what they call, uh, sex workers in the future. So it's both Soylent Green and the Handsmaid's Tale, basically <laughs> like they, they literally have just concubines come with these rich apartments. Yeah. And they are literally, yeah, furniture, like items that yeah. you own. They, well, this is the funny thing. I mean, I can see me in the 90s watching this and be like, furniture, that's a little on the nose. And then there was another part where, you know, there's poor people having a food riot because they've taken away the Soylent Green for the day. And they say, call out the scoops. And it's these garbage trucks with like forklifts in the right. front, scoops up the poor people and dumps them in the back. And I'm like, well, that metaphor is, uh, that subtext is quickly becoming text here. But it was just like... I don't know. There's something I really admire about it now where it's like, yeah, poor people are trash and right, you know, like sex workers are furniture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because it's because you have this huge overpopulation. So, that yeah, it, it, it's full dehumanization of everybody. Yeah. Like even Edward G. Robinson, his best friend in the world, they basically just say, like, yeah, your book. Isn't your book getting old? Well, let me arrange for you to have a new book. Right. He's like not even a human being, basically, like right. in the eyes of this society. Yeah. It's really wild, which makes sense because if you're, you know, in the story, if you're going to get to the <laughs> point where you dehumanize people to the point where they're literally just food that you're reprocessing <laughs> and feeding to other people, it makes sense. Like that would be the way this society goes. Yeah. Like total devalue of human beings. Well, that's the interesting part is there's not, I mean, <laughs> we watched the trailer and the trailer is like, what is the secret of Soylent <laughs> Green? And the movie doesn't even bother to ask the question until like deep into the movie. Most of the movie is like, well, this rich guy got murdered. And Charlton Heston is sort of really trying to find, I mean, he's genuinely dedicated to solving the crime, but he also, you know, doesn't, you know, he doesn't do it so quick that he can't, you know, stop by the rich guy's house a few times, (laughs) pick up a few extras, bang his furniture, yeah, play with the furniture. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah. And he goes, hilariously, he always ends up like beating on people. Like he goes to, um, uh, the apartment where Chuck has uh, Chuck has where Chuck Connors is living uh, with his furniture and Chuck Connors attack. You know, they start fighting and, and you know, Charlton Heston does his terrible fake punches. This is the only thing about Charlton Heston. That I'm like, dude, you need to learn how to throw a punch in a movie, dude. They look awful. But <laughs> but they have a fight. And then the, the furniture lady starts to try and defend her, you know, like her love or whatever. I, I don't know how that works, but she starts her to defend owner. him. Yeah, well. And so she tries to defend him, and he starts beating the shit out of her. And not just like, you know, yeah. a, a James Bondian slap. He's like, oh, yeah? And starts it's really... full, like, close fist punches. Yeah, which is part of why I'm like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm glad that they don't fucking uh, cut away from the assholery here. Because, again, mm-hmm. this is a cop of the future. Can get away with whatever. And that's the thing that's crazy, too. It's like, hey, even in the future of 2022, cops can beat on whoever they like and get away with it. Weird. What's interesting, because you bring up the whole, the the trailer did really hype up, what is the secret of Soylent Green? (laughs) And the movie, you're right. So the movie's kind of chugging along. You get, you're like halfway through the movie. And then, you know, he's really the mystery that's posed initially is why was this man killed? Yeah. What's, what's the deal with this rich guy? Yeah. And then Soylent Green doesn't really become the focal point of the mystery until it sort of turns to this man went to a church. He confessed to a priest. That priest now knows his secret. What is the secret he knew that caused him to die. So then the movie kind of becomes, what's the secret of this man? Doesn't really say, like, what's the secret of Soylent Green? It's just sort of like, this man knows some kind of truth that's going to blow the world. And it's unfortunate because I don't don't have the experience of watching this movie not knowing the answer to that question. Right. So it's it's very hard to, to sort of judge it on the surface because obviously when you know things seem very obvious, right? <laughs> but I would, I, I, I'm 
think I'm smart enough where I can kind of hypothesize. And at a certain point, the, the movie does take that turn where it's like, what's the big mystery? And it seems it, it just seems fairly obvious. So I, <laughs> I think what's odd is the first half where it was more like world building and just sort of exploring, like, what is this world like? Mm-hmm. How is society functioning? You know, what what are the things that are important to people? Look how much life sucks yes. for people in this situation. That part I found really fascinating. Yeah, it was really well done. And actually, the thing that I liked, because this is, you know, I think this is the first time I'm seeing it. Not, <laughs> I already knew the secret for the first time, but this is the first time seeing it again that I remember seeing it. the first. So I'm watching it more for like, oh, well, how do they set it up? And what's the, you know, how does the story get told? And one of the things I really like is like they kind of plant Soylent Green. Obviously, it's the title, but they sort of plant very early in the beginning. It's like, oh, Soylent Green, it's the new foodstuffs. You're going to love it, kids. And then they sort of ignore it. And every once in a while, somebody right. says, oh, man, I need some of that Soylent Green, dude. But they don't keep hitting on it, which I was like, oh, I'm, this is impressive because they're they're trying to hide the, you know, the mystery. Sure. And then every so often it'll pop back up. And I just and I didn't realize this until we were watching it today. When it popped up, you you hadn't seen it. You just see the you know people talking about it, mm-hmm. and you don't really see it in execution. And then you see it like being sold on the streets in you know uh, uh, you know uh, carts and stuff. And it's just this squ- uh, green square, but it looks like day glow. And and then you look at other carts, and they've got like different you know oh, soylent red and soylent bread and whatever else. And it's all day glow colors. And I was like, oh man. I thought that was just a bad VHS tape showing right. bad colors, but it's like, oh no, this stuff is deliberately meant to look like like otherworldly. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, what the fuck are they? And it's it's int- like neon alien color, right? And it's interesting that like an hour in, it's like, this is what they've been eating, by the way. Kind of crazy, huh? Right. <laughs> I mean, do you find that appetizing? Because it looks kind of weird, doesn't it? So I was like, that's kind of I don't know. It was just really clever to me that, like you say, within this world where they're kind of doing the magician's trick of like, well, what is this movie about? Distracting that, you know, they drop these little hints. And I wonder now, like you say, what would it be like to be an audience who maybe also didn't see the trailer? <laughs> Cause the trailer practically gives it away. Oh yeah. But like to just walk in to this movie and not have an idea of what it's about and just you know, watch it, you know, virgin it. I feel like it mm-hmm. would be like really interesting to see this movie without context. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I have a similar experience. It's not exactly the mystery of this movie, but a lot of aspects of this movie remind me of Snowpiercer. Now, Snowpiercer hinges on a lot of different things. It's not like, what's the mystery food? <laughs> but uh, Snowpiercer is a similar, it's like, a you know, a, a, an alternate future, uh, low resources, people right. on a train thing. Yes. And there's a, there's a recurring weird food in that where they're eating this gelatinous kind <laughs> of like sludgy cube gross shit. Which you, as that movie goes on, you learn is bugs. <laughs> and so it's really nasty. But then there's this, like, I, my favorite part of the movie, there's a whole speech about how they used to, before this, like, bugged fucking food, <laughs> they used to get so hungry and so crazy, they would just become cannibals and, like, oh, okay. eat people. <laughs> and there's this incredible speech about how, like, babies taste the best. <laughs> as he's, like, weeping, talking about how, you know, how how sweet and delicious the baby he ate was so (laughs) so that actually i remember watching snowpiercer and i thought of soiling green because it's a similar thing where it's like this is how you know this is how we de-evolve into into cannibal (laughs) because it had the weird processed food thing too right yeah i i was just i i was really uh I was surprised watching it this time around because I was waiting for like, you know, the thing that I said earlier, the TV movie aspect of it. And I was like, no, this is actually, I mean, you can, again, there's a kind of a cheapness to some of it, but it's like most of the time it's like, no, it's, you know, it says uh, high budget is like a planet of the apes, you know, set in modern day. <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't know. And, and I don't think it hurts to have like Edward G. Robinson being one of the co-stars. His last film, by the way, I guess he died. That, very that soon part after. in particular is really haunting. Like, like when I first saw the movie, I, you know, I knew who Edward, Edward G. Robinson was. Apparently, not enough to remember that he was in this movie <laughs> and mistake him for Ernest Borgnine. But, but 
I remember I didn't know that he it was his last movie or that he died recently. So there's something really odd about watching someone's last performance. Yeah. And their death is like a big part of the movie. Right. Well, yeah. Age is a big part of the movie. Yes. And uh, I guess he had cancer, which is what, you know, bladder cancer Mm. is what he died of. And he knew he was dying, too. He did this movie fully knowing that, well, I might not be around in a couple months. And Heston knew it, too. And I guess um, that's part of what uh, Heston claims wrung his performance out because he was just like so in awe of Edward G. Robinson the whole time. So and then I guess he was talking about because there's a point in the movie where you know, uh, Edward G. Robinson does the assisted suicide thing and, uh, Heston gets there just in time to watch it happen, but not to stop it. It's already begun. So you can't stop it. Um, Oh, or maybe he doesn't want to stop it. Cause Edward G. Robinson doesn't want to stop it. I, I hadn't really considered that. It's but. a great question. I mean, he drinks like some kind of potion yeah. that looks like wine, which I can only presume is, is poison of some kind. So, right. so by that logic, like, yeah, it, it's done. Yeah. But I agree. It's not Heston. He comes in hot and angry. Like he does in every scene and beating <laughs> people up and, but like his demands are not stop this. This must end. His demand is like I need to bear witness to my friends. Yeah, I need passing. to talk to him. Yeah, I need so to. So I, I think your interpretation is right. Like he he's generally seems okay with this even happening. He yeah. just wants to be there for it. Right. But I guess in the scene, you know, Edward G. Robinson is talking because all the we had remembered this correctly. There's all these images of mm-hmm. nature and beauty and you know the natural world before we wrecked it going on screen. And Edward G. Robinson gives a whole like little thing about it and I guess in real life Heston claimed that like you know he's because he's crying in the movie and it's not something you usually see Heston doing and it's and he's like yeah I was crying for real because Edward G. Robinson was just like blowing it out of the water and knowing he was ill right. was like oh my god so yeah it's, it, it, it was really awesome to see his last because he's I mean he's just I don't know how to describe it, but he's just, he lives in this movie so well, yes. Edward G. Robinson. You know, you're right, and I'm a little ashamed of this. When I first saw the movie, I didn't actually put it together, the images he's looking at. Because as you watch it, so he's laying there dying, and they're projecting, like you said, images of beauty and nature. So it's like lush mountains and fields and animals <laughs> and, you know, deer and rolling brooks and streams. And when I watched it the first time and he's like, isn't it? Oh, my God, isn't it beautiful? I didn't. I was just like, oh, they're just projecting stuff for an old man dying. Yeah. Didn't think much of it. And then this time I was like, oh, of course. Like, this is (laughs) this is imagery they don't see anymore. Yes. Like their world is polluted and trash. Yes. Where literally human beings are getting, uh, (laughs) you know, garbaged up in a a garbage (laughs) truck like. I was like, oh, they've, he probably hasn't seen this in 50 years or something. Yeah, and Heston is, hasn't seen it at all. because yeah, he's, he's never seen it in his life. That's part of the thing. He's like, because, you know, Heston or uh, Robinson's like, yeah, I told you. I told you it was pretty. And Heston's like, but... Yeah, but how could I? How could I imagine? I mean, right? Because they actually they make a point of shutting the door and being like, "Oh, you can't see the ceremony." Like right. this is almost like some forbidden. You're, you're learning the Scientology secrets or something. <laughs> and and Hess like, "That's what he demands that he sees." So yeah, clearly they they think it's some special thing when you pass to see the world that was. Yeah, and it's just sad I, that scene always haunted me and it's one of the few i actually remembered but i didn't quite pick up on the subtext of it the first time well i think that's part of why i thought the that it was a tragedy when i i mean it is a tragedy but i th- thought it ended as a tragedy when i saw it last time because immediately after seeing heston's bloody hand and him going you gotta tell the people it echoes off and then the same music starts playing and they start showing the same images over the credits I'm like oh my god it's like we're being euthanized and I was like I mean that so to me that kind of speaks to like hey this is you now you're dying I don't know there was something about that the end credit sequence and even this time I was like like to your point it's like yeah sure they can you know he can tell the world and the world's going to collectively shrug and say okay well so what now what do we do yeah the damage is long since done like there's no fixing it yeah from what i saw hauntingly like our own world where it's like yeah sorry we already passed that point of no return kids (laughs) yeah what a fitting uh film to watch at turning 50 (laughs) 
as Edward G. Robinson with tears in his eyes talks about, don't you remember going to the grocery store and buying stuff? And they, they practically weep over like one slice of steak. Oh yeah. For for them might as well be the the Ark of the Covenant basically. Yeah. And Heston steals a spoonful of jam that Mm -hmm. someone's left out and keeps it in his pocket for two hours. (laughs) Keeps it in his grubby ass pocket for two hours and says, this is the sweetest thing you've ever tasted in your life. Um, a couple of things I was uh, I had just remembered, by the way, that in the previous uh, segment when we were talking, I think I referred to this movie in the 60s a couple of times, mm-hmm. which is hilarious to me because it's like, why are we here? Because it's, <laughs> it's in 1973, 1973. <laughs> you dumb shit. <laughs> I just remembered that. I wanted to clear that up because I remember what year I am, sort of. Um, but uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up, there was... Uh, for example, the uh, energy shortage thing. I didn't realize because I looked it up oh, while yeah. we were um, while we were watching. I didn't realize that the first energy shortage, the first oil shortage, uh, hit America in 1973. Like, so when they were making the movie, maybe they could see which way the wind is blowing, mm-hmm. or they're seeing some effects of it. But it doesn't really hit until the movie's already out. So I'm I'm sure that wow. must have been fucking weird. That's crazy. Um, another thing that was in the movie that was interesting is uh, they talk in terms of, oh, I got a kilo of, of Soylent Green or I got a kilogram of this or whatever. Uh, because America in the 70s, as we heard in school every year, was going to be on the metric system next year. Until about 1980 or 81, where they just stopped pretending that we were going to go on. Oh, the metric wow. System. I didn't realize. They, they, yeah. Oh, OK. There was going to like I re- it was in like they had to teach us the metric system in school specifically because they were going to change. America was going to change over to the metric system. And it was always a year away. It's like, well, next year we're going to be on the metric system. So everybody's got to know this. And it never happened. And it was so weird because, <laughs> wow. you know, now now that happens. I feel like the kind of stuff happens all the time, but I'm a grown up. So I probably see it coming a million different ways. But that was my first experience with sure. You got to know this. And it just peters out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was interesting that like, oh, in the future, we're going to be on the metric system, of course, because we're going to be on the metric For, system next uh, year. My version of that is my parents incessantly talking about how Social Security won't be there for them. <laughs> and now they're collecting Social Security <laughs> all the time. And it, it, like, I know, I mean, I know that's something that's always under threat. And obviously that was a perfectly valid fear for them to have. But like the amount of times I'm like, <laughs> well, I won't have Social Security. Well, I won't have Social Security. And it's just like. Hope you're enjoying your social security. (laughs) Why did I have to hear that 8,000 times? (laughs) Because they had to convince themselves, John. They had to to find alternative means to keep themselves alive. And now they're rich because they have social security. Now they're just taking my money. (laughs) (laughs) Nelson, also while we were watching the movie, I had mentioned uh, before we went to see it that I had this question about like, what is Charlton Heston doing all all these liberal movies? He turned conservative. What happened? And you have some info about that. Yeah, well, I, I looked up a couple of things and it uh, I, again, this is all from me reading it. I don't know this personally, but it, uh, from what I can gather, uh, Charlton Heston was actually known for supporting very liberal causes, including uh, anti-racism. He was very apparently vocal and upfront about uh, not uh, about racism sucking um, before it was kind of cool. So he was kind of known for that. And then I guess around the Nixon time, he started, you know, slipping into conservatism. And then by the time he got we got to 1987, you know, the Reagan times, then he was just full on conservative because the Democratic Party had abandoned him or something like that in his his own words. So and certainly, you know, I mean, I don't know Charlton Heston's every political viewpoint he has. (laughs) Obviously, people aren't just the party they're in. I mean, you can have certain views one way or the other. But that's interesting. It sounds like he sort of shifted yeah so. well reagan i think reagan did too or at least pretended to and reagan yeah. was a lot more liberal too before he betrayed his comrades in the screen actors guild <laughs> and testified <laughs> uh, against them we were talking about this a bit but i it's sort of that's the way of the world right like yesterday's liberalism is tomorrow's conservatism as yeah. the you know as time marches forward yeah well. uh, perhaps you'll learn this as you enter <laughs> your 50s you know yes well we'll see uh Already, I'm feeling like you're too commie and should get out of my house. <laughs> I am. I'm very commie. So. <laughs> get out, anarchist. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think we've brought this up yet. Uh, one of the things they got absolutely correct about 2022, people wearing masks. Yes, that was a little eerie. There were uh, face masks in the film. 
being worn fairly regularly. Now, this wasn't like universal every single person all the time. Well, that's why it's so weird, because that's our reality is it's like, yeah, there's disease and famine and hunger. And maybe if you wear a mask, it might help things. (laughs) But most people are just like, well, fuck it then. Because there's people in the crowds wearing masks, but it's like one person over here, a couple people over there. And it's like, that's too close to reality. That's (laughs) exactly what happened in 2022. It's like, how the fuck did they see it? (laughs) What crystal ball did they gaze into? Let me tell you, the world is so great. If I've ever seen give up on the faces of everybody. (laughs) You know, yeah, that definitely fits. There's so much about this movie that just was like... I'm surprised that I was so uh, dismissive of it the first time. And again, there's something like, again, the ending's kind of goofy because they're looking for an action piece. I mean, in all fairness, I would go further than kind of goofy. I I feel (laughs) like the movie's working really well. And then what they're going for at the end is really misfired. Like, I, I, I think it how you end things is important. Sure. And this one gets, it kind of just wet farts its way out. Like, let's be honest. Sure. You can even do the triumphant, like, oh my God, it's people. Like, there was just something about the way it went with him gut shot, hobbled (laughs) on a stretcher, and almost this weird obligatory, like, it's people. And then the freeze frame. Right. And it's like, to me, you have this man, you have him in... Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is the perfect template for this kind of thing where it's like, oh, my God, he's freaking out. You as an audience have no idea why. Like, oh, my God, what's going on? And then in the movie, boom, I'm going to spoil Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Sorry. It's been literally fucking decades. So sorry if you don't know. Go watch Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Like... Boom, cut to the Statue of Liberty in the ocean, you know, nuclear radiated. Oh, my God. You So you as an audience have this really cool cathartic moment. It's like, oh, you get it. Right. This, like, the way they did Soylent Green would be like if Charlton Heston and Planet of the Apes walked through a Statue of Liberty factory <laughs> and passed by a, a souvenir shop with, like, 800 Statues of Liberty. Yes. And you saw it a million times, and then he's like, guys, you won't believe it, it's the Statue of Liberty. Like, it was just so <laughs> weird. Like, you've given away so obviously, like, minutes and minutes before this. So, like, to try to... I think it'd be fine if the movie just ended, like, oh, that's a bummer, man. Right. But, like, to to do this thing where they, they go as far as, like... Edward G. Robinson is like, let me tell you the truth. And then he's like, oh, my God, I can't hear him. And they're like, OK, uh, here, let me fix the audio for you. Put these headphones on. They make this specific point of like, we're going to hide the truth from the audience. Right. But he'll learn it. Yes. And you, when you know, you see Edward G. Robinson go, it's people. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like being coy and acting like they got some huge fucking shocker coming to you. And it's like, no, you don't. Well, here's what I'll say. Anyone could figure this out. I don't know. It's weird. I'll say two things in response to that, besides that you're right, which you are. But from that moment when Edward G. Robinson tells him and then Heston goes to the plant and sees it for himself, I think up till then it's still good. It's still, you know, for anybody who hasn't made the connection, which I probably wouldn't have if this was my first time seeing it. You see people becoming Soylent Green, then you're like, oh, shit. Okay. You could then immediately like hard cut to him and be like, oh, my fucking God, tries to go out to the police phone, gets beat up. And then again, you know, people are like watching him get dragged away. He's like, no, you don't understand. It's people. And then that's the ending I'm talking about. You know what I thought it right, was right. where it's like, oh, my God, he's learned the truth and no one believes him. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There's that actiony set piece that they feel like they have to get in, which is, I think, the only reason why. But here's my second thing I will say. And it was inspired by you saying, you know, endings are important. What do people remember about this movie? The ending and almost specifically nothing else. But it's it's remembered. I Honestly, I think that's why it's not remembered positively, mm. because it's sort of like a joke memory. Right. We're like, man, that was kind of clumsy and right. really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and they acted like it was a big deal. Right. But we knew. So it, I feel like that's why it has the bad reputation because people remember that ending and they don't remember any 
of the best shit in the movie, which is like everything that came before it, yeah. which is actually I mean, pretty good. You're not wrong. I just it's I, I feel like the movie has hung on to its existence by a thread. And that thread is. Charlton Heston screaming sure. the greenest people. <laughs> I mean, I guess at any point if it's 2023 and we're actually still talking about the film you made in 1973, it did something <laughs> right, right? Because like right? it's actually still remembered. That's a fair counterpoint. Yes. I'm just, mm, I'm so well. I mean, I, I guess here we are arrived <laughs> arrived at a, at a sort of verdict of sorts. So I'll just go ahead and yes. rip the bandaid off. Nelson, did you think that Soylent Green held up? I did, and I I am willing to forgive the you know clunky junky action scene. I'll, I'll remove that ten minutes from my memory once again and remember the rest of the movie. Hopefully, which I really found to be prescient and well done. And even you know taking away all this stuff that we have come to experience as daily life, it was really cool to see Charlton Heston and. Edward G. Robinson acting together yeah. and watching the movie and watching it unfold as a murder mystery, like a weird future noir. I was like, this is actually really my kind of movie, oddly. So I I, I think it really, for me, it really held up, except for, you know, a few things. Sure, <laughs> but sure. But I'm, I'm, dude, I'm, this may have overtaken the Omega Man for me. Wow. Watching okay. it today. So. Okay. I, I got to say, for me, I was I was there for so much of it. I'm we're sitting there watching the movie and I'm like, man, this is great. Like this is a great sci-fi movie. I was really enjoying it. Really didn't have a doubt. And man, that that <laughs> last that last like 15 minutes, I'm going to I'm going to be straight up dog shit like it's, <laughs> well it's, i think it's bad i'm like, pretty sure that the only reason it's there is because people have said well we gotta watch ben hur and the rifleman square yeah, off yeah it, it really just burns on the runway like on that landing <laughs> and so it's so hard for me like i i can't i have to say it doesn't hold up uh, because okay. because it it ends so badly but it's such a shame because i think i think the edward g robinson stuff is great i think the fact that he was dying of cancer that is so moving i think a lot of the movie is really you just just prescient and, and a little eerie to watch <laughs> now i i think it's worth a watch to mm. see that stuff well, but like, man, get, <laughs> like someone get in that editing bay and like fix that into that movie. They just botch it. And so I, I you know, that's just sort of what I'm left with. I feel bad because I did like a lot of it, but I this happens with me a lot. Like if if it I said, I mean, I said it, endings are important. I, yeah. I think I think they screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was also. Before the actiony garbage started, there was an action moment that I think we both liked. He's you know he's he's running he's through running through the Soylent Green factory and then he's chased by the workers there. And at one point he, you know, <laughs> punches in his weirdo oh, way yes. one of these guys and knocks him off the ledge. And the guy like grabs a chain and tries to control his <laughs> descent, lands on a yeah. you know conveyor belt of Soylent Green, and it looks. Like he nearly broke his hip. It, it was just like it was pretty wild. Yeah, because yeah, it wasn't just a fall off a rail. It was yeah, fall into chains into hope you hit the conveyor belt. Yeah, we, we both you and I were like, oh wow. Yeah, and then of course we watched the trailer afterwards, and it was in the trailer. <laughs> Understandably, it was like the right. coolest thing in the movie. Best stunt they have. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. Well, there. Okay, here we go. Split vote on Soylent Green. I think that's fair. That seems and I, appropriate you know, I, for I turning think, fifty. Yeah, and things are okay. Not we're, bad. Not great. We're representing the truth of the movie, both in the <laughs> in the good and bad parts of it. But that's fine. I, I'll take a split vote for my fiftieth. Fair enough. We will be coming back with you next month. Uh, we don't quite know what we're doing yet. But oh, it's not a, another Richard Fleischer movie. We're not doing Torah, Torah, <laughs> Torah. Or... Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's still room. I think what would be amazing is if we pick a movie and uh, it just happens to be one of his movies. We don't realize it. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments or would like to suggest a future film for us to watch, you can email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website, holduppodcast.com, where you can find links to all of our social media pages. And until next time, 50 is the new 30. 